All right. If you would get out your Bible and open up to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. An awful lot can happen in a 24-hour period. I don't know if you guys have ever looked back on the past 24 hours and realized, wow, like almost life-changing. Maybe it's very sad, something that's happened in the last 24 hours, but it's amazing how much can take place in 24 hours. Well, we're in the middle of one small 24-hour window of time for Jacob. Um, That's what chapters 32 and 33 are all about, 24 hours in the life of Jacob. And last week we saw him taking his fear to God. It's sort of like how the 24 hours begin. And I just want to recap it because it ties into what we're going to look at this morning. So if you look at um, verse 7, we see that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You guys remember that from last week? Because he knows Esau is coming to get revenge. And so then let's, I want to read you in verse 9 um, what happens next. Jacob, for the first time, at least from what we can recall, he actually turns to God and he, and he prays. He has a conversation with God. So here's what he says in verse 9, chapter 32. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. So that's our first little marker. He prays, he encounters God, and then he stays there that night. And as he's staying there, he sends off these three waves of servants with gifts. Remember the 550 cows and donkeys and everything? He sends those three waves off. And then we find him now in verse 22, where Kate's going to read from this continuation of the same 24-hour period. So the servants have left, and now we're going to see what Jacob does in response or after this prayer and after sending off these servants. So Kate, come and read. She's going to start reading in verse 22 of chapter 32. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, 
Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Penel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip, Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in the front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down, and last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven too hard for one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly, at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. And therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, and on his way from Paddan Aram, he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money a piece of land on which he pinched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Olea Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kate. Jacob has certainly had some unique experiences, hasn't he? Right, and he falls asleep when he first leaves home and he has this ladder with all these angels coming in down on the ladder. And then he has a whole incident with Rachel and Leah and marrying the wrong chick. And now he's got this thing going on where he gets into a wrestling match on the other side of the river. Before we jump into the wrestling match, I want to just draw our attention to one thing that I thought was very helpful as I was thinking about this story and Jacob's life, just to be honest, this past week. Up until the prayer, really, that we looked at last Sunday that I read, there has been much about Jacob's life that has been commendable. He's not the kind of guy who would say, hey, follow his example, or look to him and emulate his life. <laughs> He's really kind of messed things up. 
He stole his brother's birthright. He commits identity theft. He robs Esau of all of his family blessing. And yet, how does God treat him? God keeps blessing him. God keeps showing up and letting him know, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you the promised land. My hand is on you. I'm going to multiply all of your kids so that more, you'll have more relatives in the sand on the seashore. So all he does, really, you look at his life, is mess things up relationally with everybody, sinning one after another. And what does God do? Blesses him and keeps blessing him. What do we call it when God blesses those who deserve punishment? Grace. Yet there is so much grace in these chapters just about Jacob's life. It's almost mind-boggling when you think about what he does and then how God responds. It really is the exact opposite of how I often think about responding to somebody who jacks up their life. And yet look what he does. I feel like it's such a reflection of the heart of God to see how he interacts with Jacob. And he, he considered Jacob this way since he was born, right? He said, Jacob, I love. So from birth, God's hand has been on him and has been blessing him. And now he has so many riches that he can easily give away 550 cattle to his brother to try to appease him without even putting a dent in everything that he has. God's given him 11 sons, at least one daughter, four wives. Everything for him is going well all because God's hand is on him, and all those riches and all those blessings happened because he had to run away from home to escape his brother who wants to kill him, and rightly so, (laughs) right? I mean, here he's escaping because he was such a jerk, and then on the way of the escape, God just keeps pouring down blessings on his life. It really is crazy how God continues to bless him, and so here we find Jacob alone, on the one side of the river, probably pushed his family across and stayed on this side to separate himself from where he thought his brother would be coming from by a river, right? It makes sense. Let's keep the river between me and my brother. Send everyone ahead. Let them go with their gifts to meet him. And he's alone. And now God is going to do yet another thing to express grace to Jacob. It's going to come to him in a little bit of a strange way. I'm sure he's contemplating death. I mean, he's up. this is an all-nighter, right? I mean, he's so anxious He knows Esau's coming. He's coming with 400 men, and he's expecting to die. And so he's alone. I'm sure he's not sleeping. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he is taken to the ground, and a MMA fight begins. I mean, this is full-blown grappling, ground-and-pound happening, where he and this guy are going at it. And I would guess, if I'm Jacob, I'm thinking, it's Esau. I mean, it's dark. He can't see a whole lot. It's Esau on me. And I'm getting taken down by my brother. Or maybe it's just one of Esau's men who have found me and are now trying to pin me to the ground. But either way, it's dark. And after a certain period of time, his opponent realizes that he is going to lose. And so he manipulates his leg in some way so that his hip is popped out of the socket. And we're kind of left there. I mean, if you guys ever dislocated something, I mean, oh! So he dislocated his socket. He's on the ground. He's grabbing a hold of this man with his hands, it says. He's grabbing onto him. And then it turns from a fight to a conversation. It's, it's hey, let go of me. I'm not letting go of you, says Jacob. Not until you bless me. 
right? Because the greater always blesses the lesser. So Jacob realizes this guy got the upper hand by taking my socket out of my hip out of the socket. So I need you to bless me. And then he says, well, what is your name? And he tells him his name. He says, my name's Jacob. And then he goes, what's your name? And the guy's like, I'm not telling you my name. It's none of your business what my name is. And then he talks about how he's going to change his name, how his name is going to be changed from Jacob to Israel. And then in verse, or chapter 31, verse 1, it seems that the man is just, poof, he's gone. He's not there anymore. We don't know where he went. We don't know what happened, but he's gone. And then Jacob begins to limp with his leg, I guess, still out of the socket. I don't know. Towards where he sees Esau coming. It says he lifted up his eyes. I guess the fight was over. The guy walked away. He looked up his eyes, and he sees Jacob, I'm sorry, Esau coming on his way. So there's like the, there's like the wrestling match story which we're all probably somewhat familiar with. I mean, if we've been in church a while, we've heard, this, we've heard about this fight before. But the first thing I think we've got to do, if we're going to make sense of this story, is to figure out who is it that Jacob is wrestling with. Now, I know some of you love to have intellectual stimulation on Sunday morning, and some of you would rather just take a nap, and that's okay. This morning's going to be a little more intellectual, like, we're going to have our brains engaged here, and I'm going to be asking you questions to see if we can figure out together who is this person that he wrestled with. So who, who do you think? Who, who do you think, based on the passage, who, what do we know about this person? Based on what, what was just read, what do we know about him? He has power of some kind. Or he just knows how to manipulate legs. Kind of unclear with the word touch. We don't know whether it was like a pa-bam or whether that's a ink. But he did something. What does Moses call him? He's the narrator. What does he call him at the beginning of this whole wrestling thing? He's a man. Okay, so he's a man. Any other ideas of who it might be? Are we all good with it just being a man? We'll move on. All right, it says you've striven with God. So there's another one. All right, he changes his name. What do we know? For somebody to change somebody's name, what? If I change somebody's name, what does that show about me and my relationship to them? Authority? Power? All right, so it could be a man, right? It could be... God. I mean, Moses uses the word man twice, once in verse 24 and once in verse 25. Then there's this man. Then Jacob makes a sentence, a statement, and says he's striven with God or seen God face to face. All right, so you're, you're spending time in the Word. You're trying to seek God through, the, through this story. What do you do next? What's the next step? Ah, good. You look around the passage, and you keep looking and looking and looking until you see if there's some clarity, right? So there is another passage. It's in Hosea. So it would take you a while to get there, but you have those little things on your phone, and you would just Google it, and you'd have it in a second. So it's in Hosea. Here's what it says in Hosea. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. It's up there. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, right? Jacob grabs Esau's heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. So as a man, he strove with God. He strove with the angel 
and prevailed, he wept and sought his favor. So where it says strove with God, I don't know if that's talking or referring back to this wrestling match that we just read about. But that last, those last two lines, he strove with an angel and prevailed, sounds like the language of Genesis, doesn't it? What we just read. And he wept and sought his favor. He wanted a blessing. So now who's he wrestling with? Now he's with an angel. That didn't help at all. Now it's more confusing to me. Now I've got three options. It was either a man, God, or an angel. So now what do we do? <laughs> I find this even more confusing. I don't know what you've been taught. Have any of you been taught that this is anyone other than God? Anybody been taught it's other than God? So everyone here has been taught this is God. All right, so let's explore that for a little bit. We're going to explore this, and you're going to have to draw your own conclusions. I'll share mine along the way. But if it's God, it raises a lot of questions. Let's just talk about the wrestling match. What questions come to mind if it's God himself wrestling with Jacob? How come he couldn't win? If it's God wrestling Jacob, who's going to win? There's no hip manipulating needed, right? You just win. You win without any effort at all. So that raises the first question for me. The second question I have is, why does Moses call him a man? Why? Why doesn't, why doesn't he call him something else? Why doesn't he call him, or why is the text not tell us, that it was the angel of the Lord? Right? Because that would make it easy, because we know that so far in Genesis, we've seen where the angel of the Lord is Jesus pre-incarnate, coming in the form of an angel to speak to people. So it just said, if it said that, I'd be happy. Okay, good. Problem solved. But no, Moses doesn't say that. It's not addressed that way at all. And then there's the challenge. Please don't get lost in this. But there's the challenge of what Jacob says. So what Jacob says, look with me at verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So that phrase, face to face, face, the word face, is used 12 other times in this passage. Every time it's used in this passage, other than this one, it is translated the word ahead. So let me just show, let me show a couple to you, just so we'll be on the same page. Look at verse 16 of chapter 32. He says, pass on ahead of me. Do you see that word ahead? On ahead of me. That really could, could read, put your face ahead of me. In other words, face that way. Get your face ahead of me. Look at verse 17. It says, and who are these ahead of you? That could read, and who are these with their faces ahead of you? Or their faces going in that direction? Look down at verse 20. I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. Again, that could be translated, I may appease him with the present that goes at the face, or at the beginning, or at the front. Does that make sense? If you look at chapter 33, verse 18, it says that he camped before the city. I know you've got to turn some pages, maybe. Chapter 33, verse 18, it's going to say he camped before the city. That could read at the face of the city or the front of the city. So do you understand that, how it's interchangeable? So when you get to chapter 32, verse 30, where Jacob declares this face-to-face -face thing, it could read, for I have seen God ahead of me and in front of me and my life has been delivered. 
Now, how is his life about to be delivered? Who's out to get him? Esau, and we read the story. Does he get killed? No, his life gets delivered. So it could be reading that God basically went ahead of him and in front of him, and his life was delivered from Esau. So I wonder if that could be what's going on here, because isn't that what he prayed in verse 11 in the previous chapter, that he'd be delivered from his brother, from Esau. So there's some challenges there for me. The next challenge is the name change that Kate already brought up. If it was God who changed his name, God wrestled with him, if it was God who changed his name, then why does the story continue in the next three chapters with him being called Jacob and not Israel? If God changed his name, God changed his name. When you get to chapter 35, and this gets a little crazy, look over to chapter 35, verse 9, watch what happens. God appeared to Jacob again, referring back to chapter 35, verse 1, where God appears to Jacob. So in chapter 35, verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Now from there on out, there is some back and forth. He's referred to as Jacob sometimes. Mostly Israel from there. But after that encounter with the person that we know is God in 35, chapter 35, we know it's God. It says it blatantly. It's God who spoke to him and said, I'm changing your name. Now his name is finally changed. So wherever this man was, he seemed to be like foretelling, prophesying that his name would be changed. But it seems like he didn't, in that moment, actually set in motion his name being changed from there on. Because it doesn't change until chapter 35. So when I think it's God, I have some struggles with, okay, if it's God, then why did his name change immediately at this point in the story? The last thing that trips me up is in verse 28. So look at how, back in, back in our wrestling match, notice how the word wrestled changes. And this, this is just observations I'm making. Chapter 24, or verse 24 of chapter 32, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Right? Look at the end of verse 25. He put his hip out of joint and he wrestled with him. Then you get to verse 28 where you kind of get the interpretation. And he says, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have, and what do you expect to read? Wrestled. But it's not the word wrestled, it's the word that's used in Hosea that he had striven with God and with man and prevailed. So, He's the man, whoever this man is, is careful to make sure that we don't think that he's talking about the same thing. The wrestling is separate from this other striving that took place. Does that make sense? I'm just, I'm just trying to get our heads wrapped around what's going on here. So there's something else going about, about this mystery person that I don't know. So I, I, I'm all week going, okay, who is it then? Who is it? Tell me. I want to figure it out. Like There should be a clear answer here where I can say to the church, it certainly is and I can't. And I have a hunch there's a reason that I can't. I think the reason is because Jacob's physical wrestling wasn't the point of the story. It is what the physical wrestling represented that's the point of the story. Yes, I think he physically wrestled with somebody. Who? I don't know. But I don't think that's the point. 
I think the point is that he, in his life, had striven with God and with man and prevailed. So I, I take red boxes and I put them around the verses that I think are like the most important or the key or the transition or the thing that really is supposed to like, oh, that makes sense. That's the, that's the part that explains what's going on. Verse 28 is it. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. So he, he says there's going to be a name change and it's going to go from the heel grasper, which is what he was, always grasping at people's heels, trying to trip them up and get stuff from them, to Israel which means God is now on your side. God's favor is on him. God's hand is now on him. So I think the point is that Jacob has spent his life in, in a striving relationship, in a wrestling relationship with God. I think that's the point. Now, of course, we could say that the person he wrestled with was God, and it still makes the same story, right? It's still the same application, but I think it's just important to realize what's going on. That the point is not who as much as the application, right? What this is supposed to paint a picture of. And I think, going back to those Hosea verses again, help us. I think it helps us to see what does it look like for someone to strive with God. So look, I think it's going on the screen one more time. We're just going to look at the second part. It's okay. So just look down at four lines. In, his, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. So as a man, he spent his life striving with God. And then when he, when he encountered God, when he met with God, what did he do? He wept and he sought his favor. So I think to strive and to prevail with God is... Something that happens in our hearts where we weep before God because we want God's favor. We want God's blessing. And I think this verse helps us to see what it is that is going on. There's something happening in Jacob's heart during this where he's striving and prevailing and weeping and seeking God's favor. The physical wrestling match somehow stirred something in Jacob's soul that made him weep and deeply desire God's blessing on his life. Maybe to put it simply, it seems the wrestling match was a physical event to make a spiritual point in his life. That's what it was. It was a, it was a physical thing that happened to, to make a spiritual point, to show what was happening, for Jacob to experience something physically, that he'd go, oh, that's what's been happening in my heart. That's what's going on inside of me. <coughs> I've wanted God's blessing. It's an outward picture of an inward reality. After all, hasn't Jacob striven with Laban for 20 years? I mean, it's 20 years of wrestling. Hasn't he wrestled with Esau now his whole life from birth? And hasn't God, hasn't Jacob been wrestling with God his entire life? I think he has. I think Jacob's been wrestling with who is this God? I mean, we know way more about God than Jacob. And I still ask that question when things happen. Like, who are you? Did you ever do that? Like, what are you doing? And why? And how do I relate to you in this situation? What am I supposed to think about this? And there's ways that I want to have your blessing and I want to change and grow and it doesn't happen. What, where are you in this relationship, God? I think that's some of the inward battle of the human soul with God. It's a wrestling that we go through 
as humans on this earth and even as believers. Is this God really going to keep his promises? How is he going to keep his promises? Can I count on him? Why does he bless me when I deserve punishment? And how does that all work out? Why do sometimes I feel the blessing and other times I don't see the blessing? I mean, there's, there's got to be questions that you have that you wrestle with in your relationship with God. I think these are the wrestlings of the human heart. And it says he wrestled with man, not just God. It's what role do people play in my life? How is God using them to change me or influence me? Is God really letting them do the things they're doing to me that harm me? Why isn't he stopping that? I mean, Jacob went through all of this with Laban, I'm sure. What is this God doing that says he's going to bless me, and now this God is letting this guy rip me off for 20 years and trick me into marrying the other girl? And how is God doing that? And was Laban in charge, or is God in charge? Is God going to keep the blessing? Am I going to keep getting promises? Am I going to keep my blessed or not? Did you see what he wrestled with? I think we all wrestle with these sorts of questions and things. I think the question that's raised for me is, how often do I stop, weep, and seek God's favor in my life? I mean, we know we have his favor because of Jesus, right? God's favor is on us. But yet we respond to that, don't we, as humans? And we're supposed to respond. How often do we, do we weep for God saying, God, I just want your blessing. I just want your favor. I want more fruit in my life. I want to sin less. I want to love people more. I want to love you more. I want you to change my heart, God. Like just weeping before him to bless you that way, to show favor on your life that way, to change you the way that you want to be changed. And I think that's what the story is about. It's about this wrestling that we have with God and even with man. There's some other f- fun application in this story, and some of these are symbolic, and I don't want to take them too far, but I love verse 31. We're talking about Jacob and this transforming situation that he goes through. It says, verse 31, the sun rose upon him. I mean, what do you think that means? Where was he prior to the sun rising? Yeah, he's in the dark. I mean, Jacob is going from darkness to, to light. To darkness, to light. I mean, we could maybe stretch this too far, but I think there's something there that Moses chooses to include, that little truth that he goes from darkness into God's marvelous light. And, and you know that's true for us? If you're a lover of Jesus, you've gone from darkness to light, right? You've been born again to a living hope. Your life has been changed. I mean, I don't think people necessarily got born again yet because the Spirit wasn't poured out, but this is, for Jacob, I think the, oh, right? <laughs> like, oh, I see now. I see what's going on. Like there's, and how he responds in the next chapter, I think shows us that he kind of has the light bulb go on. Like, oh, now I see. Now I get it. And so the light goes on, I think, for Jacob in a, in a, in a very, I think, a wonderful way. And then there is something we said about the name change. Because it does begin the process of his name change, and his name will be changed in a few more chapters. He gets a new name. Do you know that someday you're going to get a new name? It's one of my favorite verses in God's Word. I've shared it with you guys before. It's from Revelation chapter 3. Did I give you the wrong verse? Two. My bad. 
This is, I believe, not symbolic. I believe it's literal. I think this part of Revelation, before it transitions to some of the apocalyptic literature, it's talking about the seven churches and what happens in the churches. And this is what it says. To the one who conquers. And that's the same idea of Jacob, right? To the one who prevails, the one who, who endures to the end. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. I believe there's going to be a day when you are either dancing around on the new earth, creating something, painting something, doing something fun, and all of a sudden you're going to feel a little tap on your shoulder and Jesus is going to be right behind you. And he's going to have a little stone. And he's going to show it to you. And it's going to have a new name. And that's your little secret. (laughs) The only one who's going to know about it is you and him. And you're going to be completely renamed. Maybe it'll be in heaven. Maybe it'll be in heaven and not on the new earth. But there's a time coming when you're going to have that one-on-one. You've got many one-on-ones with him. But you're going to have one where he's going to say, Psst, here's your new name. This is just between you and me. But here's your new name. And that'll be a, just another one of the billions of little fun things I think they are going to happen. Blessings and wonderful things are going to happen when we are in heaven or on this new earth together. And there's one more thing, application, that I want to make as we continue to just wrap this little story up. And that is, why does this person pop out his hip? I mean, if I dislocated my thumb, I'd be game over, crying like a baby. I dislocated my shoulder once a long time ago, and it was brutal. But why hip? I want you to get your creative, sanctified imagination into this story. What is Jacob's situation? What's his problem? Okay. At the heart level, it's his walk with God. What is his physical problem? Esau's coming. Good. So Esau is on his way to get him. So what difference does it make that it's his hip that gets thrown out of socket? He can't run. He has no way to get away now. Can he do anything on his own to escape his brother? 20 years ago, he got away from his brother. What did he do? He ran. Can he do that anymore? So why would God, through this man, whatever happened, choose to make it so that he cannot run away from Esau? What point do you think God would want to make to Esau? That God is providing deliverance? That he has nowhere to turn now. He has nowhere to turn. He has no hope on his own. It's like God hit him where it hurt. Last time you were able to escape your brother, he came, was coming after you. It's been 20 years. He's coming after you again. And so I'm going to make it so that you have to depend on me. We don't like that, do we? I don't like that. I don't like it when things happen in my life and I realize I ain't got nothing. It's all going to have to be God. Very humbling. Scary sometimes. But isn't it the best place to be? It's almost freeing sometimes, isn't it? To go, ain't nothing I can do about this. Either God shows up or nothing happens. Or things go bad. 
And so I think that's why God does it this way. It's, I'm going to take away the only humanly possible way for you to escape. I'm going to eliminate it so you only have one hope, and that hope is in me. And then I love what happens. Here, here's, the, here's the, I guess it is the climax of this entire story. Verse 4 of chapter 33, right? Jacob is limping in the direction of Esau. I assume they're coming towards one another because Jacob says, it's got to be game on now. There's nothing else I can do about it. I think he is, to some degree, has faith and believes that God is going to deliver him. He says that in the verses before it. But I love the way this is written. Verse 4, but Esau ran to meet him. So Esau is running at him. Now, if I've got a dude that's wanted to kill me for 20 years running at me, that's not good. I'm thinking this is, this is it. Like, he is ready for revenge. So he runs to meet him and embraces him and snapped his neck. That's what the reader is expecting to read. The reader, we're going, is God going to deliver or not? He can't run. The dude's running at him. And you, you read it slow enough and you go, okay, he's running at him. He gets to him and... And all you see is the word neck. And I go, oh boy, that's it. That was his plan from the beginning. I mean, this is the miracle moment. This is the miracle moment you realize that God is not only at work in Jacob, but God is at work in Esau. God is at work in Esau to protect and deliver Jacob. Just more grace being poured down on Jacob's life. So he falls on his neck. He kisses him. They weep. And then Esau looks up and sees all of Jacob's family members following behind. And you know the rest of the story. It's a fight over who's going to be more generous. Take my stuff. Take my gifts. No, I don't want them. I have enough. No, take them. No, I don't want them. Right? The battle of who's going to bless who in the story. But this little chapter of Jacob's life ends on the... I mean, really, the greatest way it could ever end. He's been delivered. He's been delivered. He knows God in a new way. He's encountered God in a new way. He has a physical experience that represents what he's gone through spiritually. He knows what it's like not to weep and to seek God's favor and God's blessing on his life. But he learned it through an awful lot of trial. Self-inflicted trial. And yet, God, here we find him Delivering him from Esau. So what I want to do is encourage you this week. There's a bunch of different application points that are here. But I do think the biggest one from this whole story, at least for me, has been what does my wrestling with God look like? What does it look like? Do, do, you, do you wrestle? Do you have time each week where you get alone with God and duke it out? Well, you tell him what's going on, you tell him what you're thinking, you tell him what you're feeling, you listen, let him lead you to different passages of scripture and bring them to bear on what it is you're wrestling with. But do you have that interaction with God? Last week, when we talked about Jacob just praying to God, someone said to me afterwards, just, just that alone was helpful, just the idea that I can... I just talk to God more. Just tell him what I need and what I need to deliver from and what I want. Like, just do that. So here it's the same thing. Go to God and weep before him. Ask for his favor. Ask for his blessing. Ask for him to change you. Ask for him to help you. Ask for him to do the things that you want him to do, the blessings that you want on your life, and go to him. Wrestle with him through those things.
and do it all with confidence because we know that Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension as our high priest was so we could wrestle with God, right? It's so that we could, be draw, so we could draw near to God, so we could come near to him, so that we could have this relationship with our God that we interact and share our deepest heart desires. So I just want to encourage you this week to do that. If you don't have a habit of doing that, start getting in a habit of doing that. Learn from this situation with Jacob and let your heart wrestle with your God. We pray for us and we're going to sing a song. Can we sing a song? Should I just pray? One, pray. We'll do one. I'll pray. I'll do one. Let's do one. Father, I, I thank you for <coughs> I thank you for this this event, this true story that happened. And God, I pray. I pray for any of my friends in this room that have not gone from darkness to light, that Holy Spirit, you would give them the desire to wrestle with Jesus and to want to know more of who he is and what he's done and that they would have their name-changing experience, their born-again experience, their new life experience. And I pray, God, for the rest of us that we would learn from this story what it looks like to weep and pursue you so that we can have more of your favor and blessing and hand on our lives. Help us, God. We, we want to be humble people who get low before you, who don't depend on our own abilities to handle our own deliverance, but we look to you to do it for us. And so do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.